Insecurity is its own disease. News broke yesterday that Jonathan Majors, the up-and-coming actor, has been arrested on charges of strangulation, assault, and harassment. And of course, the thugs with badges in New York City are saying that the accuser is the victim. They want to go ahead and get that out there early. Victim indeed. We see this from New York Magazine and others. Everybody say, Cosby's victims, victims. They've barely begun an investigation. But they're still butthurt from the butt kicking they took two years ago. The scumbags in the NYPD are hoping that this will be their Bill Cosby, or at the very least, Jesse Smollett, a black man who they can demonize with phony reports filled with lies that the white media can be counted on to repeat without even an attempt to vet it. The white media's feeding frenzy is as predictable as it is phony. They try to claim that they're only interested in this story to such a degree because Jonathan Majors has two big movies in theaters right now. But we all know that's not true. The white media goes into this feeding frenzy every time someone accuses a black man of anything. Now, Jonathan Majors' attorneys have put out a statement saying that they have evidence the accusation is false and that this evidence includes at least two written statements from the woman who made the accusation recanting her own allegation. Majors' attorney says that they expect that the charges will be dropped imminently. Hopefully so. My question is, who is this woman who did this? Why did Jonathan Majors have her even around him in the first place? She's some girlfriend or whatever? He needs better taste in women. It's no accident that the accusation against Majors is a domestic violence one. That's the old standby, the golden blackjack that never misses. Now, Ezra Miller has been caught up in all kinds of violent incidents, throwing a pregnant woman around, even running off with an underage child who later turned up in a stupor. Ezra Miller's had mug shots, but Warner Media is still standing by him, still releasing his Flash movie, and the white media is not doing a feeding frenzy at all. They're treating it as ho-hum. He has no criminal charges of any real note against him. So, if you abuse a pregnant woman, run off with an underage child, get arrested numerous times, and make a general spectacle of yourself, the white media says, oh well, and the police aren't interested either. But all you have to do is merely be a black man. And it's calling all cars, and the white media camps out in front of your house. There's very little information about the specifics of who's accusing majors, but if the past is any indication, we'll find out that he had someone around him who shouldn't have been in his circle to begin with. We've seen this one play itself out too many times for people to pretend like they don't know about it. But some black people, especially black men, have to internalize the fact that as you come up in the world, your circle is going to have to change. Some people who you've had around you won't be able to stick around. And as for any new people who are thinking they might become part of your circle, you got to vet them, especially to make sure they don't pull some mess like this. Because while the white media is certainly equal opportunity when it comes to going after black men or black women, they are particularly vicious and particularly obsessed with making sure that a black man gets demonized to the hilt. Letitia Wright gave her honest opinion about the jab, and Disney makes her the star of Black Panther 2. The white media reported on Letitia's comments, but they didn't make it into some relentless attack on her until they got her fired or otherwise ruined. On the other hand, Kyrie Irving said that he didn't want to get the jab, and they were all over him. They got him suspended, tried to make it part of an overall narrative when they attempted to ruin him with a lie about being anti-Semitic. It cost him a lot of endorsements, pretty much all of them. And we see the same thing being done to Jonathan Majors right now. 
White power comes in black people in general, but it makes it a particular point to hold black men in specific up as the enemy that has to be destroyed. When it comes time to yet again make another example out of a black person, there's a better than four out of five chance that it's going to be a black man who you decide needs to be the whipping boy. So black men have to be ultra aware what kind of people they're bringing around, them, particularly women. Because that's what the white media likes to point to. Oh, look how this guy treats women. Mike Tyson, Bill Cosby, who are, look how they treat women. And yes, that means you will spend more than a little of your time by yourself. But if you want to be spending time around other people, you could be in jail. To secure your future, you got to get comfortable with not being emotionally dependent on folks. That's why they say it's lonely at the top. Though it's a hell of a lot better than the bottom because it's crowded as hell down there. But is that where you want to be? And this advice goes for black women as well as black men. The trade-off for success is that most of the people around you aren't as successful as you are. Success is rare. Mediocrity is what's common. And that being the case, you're going to have a number of people who envy you, people who are jealous. You're going to be surrounded by people looking to get close to you so they can take advantage of you if you let them. I, for one, think the accusation against Jonathan Majors is complete bull. I'm getting heavy Ray Rice vibes off of this one. Jonathan Majors is learning, well, I hope he's learning, what Ray Rice and Chris Brown learned. You have to be very careful who you let into your circle. Ray Rice's wife messed up the money on that one. There was a big part of her that had no respect for her husband. She felt that she socially outranked him because she could call the police and go to a white cop or a white judge or a white reporter anytime she wanted to get her way. So when she saw it, she felt that if she wants to just go ahead and attack the guy, she can just do it and he has to just take it because she thinks she outranked it somehow socially. White power made that one clear. She was going to show him that she was the boss and she destroyed what had been a surefire guaranteed gold mine. But Ray Rice also has to take responsibility for who he led around him. Let's not be naive or dense here. Surely this woman had exhibited those same disrespectful tendencies long before that stunt she pulled in the elevator. And by not choosing to let her go, he wound up losing a lot more. Though while Jonathan Majors may at most only be guilty of having poor choices and friends, there are some other black men out there who have decided that they're just going to commit career suicide altogether. And if the white media won't push them over the edge, that's okay, they'll jump on their own. That brings us to John Morant. He's young, 23, I believe, and he's one of the more electrifying players in the NBA. And he brings his daughter to his games with him. He is all kinds of marketable on all kinds of levels. So that begs the question, why is this guy in particular, who's skinny as a rail and he's shorter, much shorter than the average NBA player, why is he trying to be gangster? White media loves that they have a black man who they can put forward the narrative of a steady drumbeat of demonization. Unfortunately, John Moran's been helping in that regard. Back in July, some security guard claimed that Moran threatened him and a member of his entourage shoved him. Where's the proof? Don't see any, but that's okay. No charges came out of that one, so Moran dodged a bullet, right? Though not for long, though, because later the same month, he was also accused of punching a teenager in the head during a pickup game at John Moran's house, and that Moran then went and pulled a gun on the same teenager. He's being sued for that. He was also investigated by the NBA earlier this season after members of the Indiana Pacers accused associates of John Morant's of pointing a red laser at them, which they weren't sure might have been attached to a gun or not. They didn't know. 
The NBA said that they couldn't corroborate that one, so this guy, he might as well play the lottery because he's the luckiest man in town. But his luck ran out because he decides that if the police aren't going to sink him, he'll sink himself. So he went to a strip club in Denver earlier this month after his team lost a game to the Denver Nuggets. He then gets on Instagram Live and brandishes a gun. Because, hey, when there's already been stories in the news about you saying that you pulled a gun on a teenager and that some of your boys may or may not have been pointing laser-sighted pistols at people, well, why would you want to leave people in suspense? You might as well remove all doubt. But that's not all that he was doing earlier this month, because at the same time that he was making a fool of himself on Instagram, he had also been in a strip club for a couple of days. Now, I don't know if he was there continuously or if he was there on and off, but apparently he was present at that strip club over the course of 48 hours. And he reportedly blew $50,000 in (coughs) tips while he was there. And there's pictures of the, I don't know what you call it, champagne room, I suppose, or whatever the hell. And the entire place is covered in money. The floor, Uh, the furniture, the tables, all of it. Keep in mind, John Morant has a five-year, $231 million extension with the Grizzlies. That's over $45 million a year that he's going to be making. And what is he doing? He's spending days at a strip club throwing away money just to show he's got it. Anyone want to bet he'll turn up dead broke in 10 or 15 years? The league is responding to his latest antics by suspending him for six games. Uh, By the way, did I mention he did this right after his team lost a game to the Denver Nuggets? He loses a game, and this is what he does. He celebrates as if he won a championship. He had no business whatsoever going out and partying. This guy's losing games. You know, I don't remember Michael Jordan doing stuff like this, even when he won a game, much less when he lost one. But as this new generation of ball players we got, the money that he's blowing, that's supposed to be his daughter's inheritance. I would hope he would think of it that way. But as far as he's concerned, hey, I spent all the kids' inheritance at the strip club. Keeping it classy, huh? I have to wonder how long it took for him to get that much money together. He brought cash there with him. How long did it take him to get that much money together? just to drop it in strip club. Even if those are all $1 bills, that's a hell of a lot of $1 bills. And to think, some of you actually wonder why I don't follow sports or celebrity. Because this is the class and caliber of most of the black celebrities out there. White power certainly knows how to choose its Negroes. You know, we would all benefit, especially the younger cats, the millennials and Gen Zers, we would all benefit by paying closer attention to what was going on in the rap game during the late 80s and into the mid-90s. Death Row Records ruled not just rap music, but music in general during the 90s. They had Dre, Snoop Dogg, Tupac all under the same roof. And yes, there were a ton of other rappers out there. I mean, it's not as if everybody had disappeared. But the undisputed mecca of the game, the place that everyone knew was the hottest scene in rap by a country mile, the place that set the standard, was L.A. Not the entire state of California, but just L.A. Suge Knight could have been the Barry Gordy of rap. Problem was, Suge Knight kept bringing his street pals to the studio. These were the talentless and brainless thugs who weren't going anywhere in life. Suge Knight never seemed to realize that the studio is a place to work not a clubhouse to hang out at. The only people who had any business being at the studio were the people who were there on business. Pot-smoking gangbangers are the epitome of useless. They don't build. They don't even work. So why were they even there? 
What possible value did they bring? None. So again, why would Suge Knight even have them there? His old street pals should have been left behind a long time ago, but he didn't do that. They were his pals. They made him think that he was keeping his street cred when he should have been transitioning from street dude to media mogul. His life had changed. Everyone knew it except for him. Suge Knight simply couldn't decide if he wanted to be a businessman or a gangbanger, so he tried to be both. And in the end, he wound up neither. You have to be very circumspect about who you allow in your circle. People who seem to keep drama going, who keep in trouble, always got some ruckus going on, people who are not about the business, people who brag on themselves all the time, these are the traits of someone who is not in control. Trouble follows people like that wherever they go. You don't want to be around anyone who thinks it's cute to paint a target on their backs, because if that's who you roll with, they're also painting a target on yours. That's why I told you about the old naval expression, run silent, run deep. As Dr. John Henry Clark said, some Negroes are desperate to feel secure about themselves. That's the root of a lot of this stuff, terminal insecurity. So they're constantly trying to reassure people that they're tough or that they're smart or that they're rich or that they're pretty or whatever. And these people, because they're so insecure with themselves, they assume that everyone thinks less of them too. So they inevitably have to prove that they're rich, smart, tough, pretty, etc. You stay away from people like that. True power doesn't need to prove anything to anyone. When you're dealing with true power, all you know is what it does. True power moves in a way where you can't even be sure who did it. Negroes who can't keep their mouths shut about what they're holding are a problem. And where power is concerned, it doesn't pay to advertise. And Negroes who don't have anything going for them have no problem pulling a gun, causing violent altercations, or getting arrested because that's all they have to look forward to. A black man who's actually about something, who's actually coming up in the world, he's supposed to know better than that. You see, people with those gutter mentalities, people who decide that they got to be stupid for the sake of being stupid, or people whose insecurity just basically rules them, those people are on self-destruct. We see it every day. In the animal kingdom, most species reject or otherwise do away with other members of their species who are quarrelsome or who constantly bring them problems. So being smart enough to identify a problem member of the group and then to separate yourself from them, that's something that even animals have the good sense to do. Empowerment is a mission. And if you got to go it alone, then so be it. Because if the so-called friends, associates, or fiancés that you got around you bring this kind of unnecessary complications to your life, you need to just bite the bullet and make the call for self-preservation. And by the way, it's not just limited to gangbangers what I'm talking about. There's a lot of scammers, crooks, and charlatans who also destroy themselves, and they take other people down with them because those other people were standing too close to them. We see this happen with everything from corporate fraud to organized crime. Look at what's going on with the FTX fiasco. You have a lot of celebrities who allowed themselves to endorse a crypto scheme, and now their brands are taking a hit. And some of them are having to deal with legal fallout because they haven't considered that endorsing crypto coins also carry regulatory liabilities too. They didn't actually know what they were endorsing or on whose behalf they were doing it. There are real consequences that go along with not vetting people who come around you. Letting people who shouldn't be there hang around too long, that is one of the surest roads to ruin. People need to show that they are worthy of being in your circle. 
And even if they prove themselves occasionally, you're going to have to go ahead and reinvent them all over again. Reason why is you never know when someone's going to break bad on you. That's the lesson that needs to be taken away from this. Not just for Jonathan Majors and John Morant, but for black people in general. It doesn't pay to get too attached to people. The reality is some people come into your life to teach you how to let go. Good evening and be one. I'd like to take a moment to mention some of our contributors. Detroit Beauty Supply, Chaz, Yolanda Sapp, Robert Johnson, and King Edwards. Salute to them and thank you to everyone for listening, liking, and sharing this message. Black empowerment only exists because of you. Family and fellow soldiers, I'm the professor, and this is the moment of truth. Last night's video address had to do with controlling who's in your circle and also controlling yourself. In this case, we're going to be picking up where we left off, not with John Morant or Jonathan Majors, but in this case, we're going to be talking about a scammer from Africa that you've probably already heard about. But it is an interesting case study of what happens when you decide you're going to do the wrong thing for the wrong reasons. On my Twitter page, I talked about the sentencing of a Nigerian email scammer named Ramon Abbas. He went by the Instagram screen name Hush Puppy, though he also liked to call himself the billionaire Gucci master. Ramon Abbas was part of a loosely knit group of scammers who used what was called BEC, that is Business Email Compromise, they would send emails to corporations, particularly the middle managers and such, and try to see if they could get the person to give up information that would enable them to be able to hack the people's emails. Once they did that, they would wait to see if any invoices came through, and then they would try to trick whoever sent them the email into actually sending money to a different bank account usually under the guise of, oh, we accidentally sent you the wrong account number and routing number. Here's the right one. Thank you very much. They did this to the tune of hundreds of millions of dollars. But as it turns out, they were also working in league with the North Koreans, believe it or not. Well, as it turns out, of course, the email scams are just one of many kinds of schemes that come out of Nigeria, and obviously this Abbas character is not alone. There's a bunch of Nigerians who run off to places like Turkey or Greece to run their scams. You can get a condo or an apartment cheap in those countries, and these Nigerian scammers run their operations from those places, whether it be the romance scams, BEC, or what have you. Now, Ramon Abbas, I'm sorry, I meant uh, Hush Puppy, also thought he was some sort of influencer. He posted on Instagram all the time, posting all the stuff that he was getting away with. Of course, he didn't say where the money was coming from. He was giving all sorts of free advertisements to everybody from Versace to Gucci to Fendi to whomever. This guy thought he was slicker than most, and perhaps for a time he seemed to be. He ran off to Malaysia and then eventually ran off to Dubai. He had been doing his scam with an Arab accomplice, so that's probably why he chose Dubai. And Nigeria is a largely Muslim country, and he has a Muslim last name. Not sure how much that has to do with anything, but I have to think it has more than a little to. But this guy has spent a lot of his posts and his videos that he posted online invoking the name of Jesus. I guess he told himself that God doesn't mind him scamming. Well, God don't like ugly either. Now, as you might imagine, this guy grew up dirt poor in Nigeria, 
But when he finally was able to get himself a little bit of money, and then eventually a lot of money, and he went into his online persona, he chose a nickname and a demeanor and everything else that imitates black Americans in the United States. So the only way that this man was even able to relate to any sort of prosperity was by pretending to be something he's not. All that goofy stuff that he would do, making it rain in the club and such, posing in front of high dollar vehicles when the village that he came from didn't even have paved roads. Obviously these guys, these so-called Yahoo boys, because that's what they would do, take out tons of Yahoo email accounts to run their scams. They just wanted to get the money so that they could prove that they could take it totally for granted. To them, getting the money wasn't a means to an end. It was an end unto itself. Well, in a world that runs on money, you have to be some kind of stupid to subscribe to a philosophy like that. And this explains why so many of these clowns wind up in prison, broke, or both. The messages that Abbas would post on his Instagram just came off as corny as you couldn't believe. This was obviously a man who was spouting words that came from the United States, a culture that he wasn't familiar with. He used the phrases wrong very frequently. He had no example of a baller in Nigeria that he could emulate. So he used our lingo, our language, and the type of ghetto fabulous swag that he saw from black people in the U.S., and it just came off wrong. This is not to say that Africans should be kissing our behinds or anything or bowing at our feet. We've never looked down on anyone or demanded that we be kowtowed to. Other groups trash us all the time to cover up their embarrassment about what's going on where they came from. But we've never rubbed anyone's faces in it. The only thing that we've said is be honest about the fact that if you leave home, travel thousands of miles to be on the other side of the world, and then you imitate the style and even try to lay claim to the history of people who you continually insult about how lazy and unintelligent they are, well, it lacks a certain style. You gotta earn the right to disrespect us. And the moment you leave home to be here, you've lost that right. While doing the background and research for this morning's briefing, I came across a video that Avis had posted where he was practically on the verge of tears because I think it was his sister-in-law who died simply because they didn't have the antibiotics or what have you that they needed in the village clinic that she went to. He seemed to be very upset about this even years later. Why does she have to die? Why does the country have to be like that? Why does it have to be so screwed up? The problem is leadership, but leadership starts at the bottom, not at the top. Eisenhower said it best, if a political party does not have its foundation in the determination to advance a cause that is right and that is moral, then it is not a political party. It is merely a conspiracy to seize power. Africa is full and overflowing with conspiracies to seize power, and they've been successful. But why have they not been overthrown? That's the real question. You can claim that they have the support of the military, but the military comes from the people. So why does the society keep producing individuals who protect and enable the oppression of their own family members? To answer Hush Puppy's question, the reason that Nigeria is in the shape it's in is because they've practiced this kind of behavior for a very long time. The Nigerian government's endemic corruption is not simply the result of a few kleptocrats who are at the top of the government. And it's been going on long before the British showed up. As an example, black people in the United States made it safe and prosperous for Nigerians to come here. We made it possible for them to come here. But when they arrived, especially since the 1960s, they began to attack us. Now, why did that happen so immediately? 
Why did that come so naturally to so many of them? Well, Hush Puppy said it himself. Look at what happens in Nigeria and you see the answer why. It's a continuation of the same backstabbing and throat cutting that we saw over here. Nigeria needs a revolution, not just a political one, but a cultural revolution as well. In fact, all of those African nations need it. But without a loyalty system, a revolution will simply devolve into a free-for-all brawl for power afterwards, like what we've seen in Haiti. People who don't respect themselves are people who also don't respect others. People who are not humble enough to be grateful for the opportunities that other people made possible will be arrogant, prideful, and worst of all, they'll bow before whatever member of white power stands in front of them. Why do Nigeria's leaders oppress their own people? Well, here's a better question. What did Ramon Abbas, I mean, uh, Hush Puppy, do to stop them once he got some money? What has Akon done? Let's stop letting liars tell us fairy tales about these oppressive regimes in Africa. We're not dealing with some highly trained, highly motivated special forces here. They're gun-toting punks. I've seen videos of these cowardly security forces in Africa and in Haiti, and they run when they encounter any resistance. They don't believe in anything other than being part of the street gang masquerading as police or the military. They're bandits, nothing more. As they see it, they get to have a couple of minor perks, a couple of small benefits that go along with wearing a uniform for what that's worth. Usually the benefits take the form of killing somebody with impunity, or more likely they're going to rob somebody or they're going to sexually take advantage of a woman, that kind of thing. They see that as being the benefit of wearing the uniform. So because they have gained so little and because they didn't sign up based on honor and integrity, they're certainly not going to be eager to die for such a corrupt regime which they know to be dirty themselves. My point is that it would be fairly straightforward to begin a substantive dissident movement inside those countries. Those governments and their so-called security forces do not have the loyalty of the people. You have a few punks getting a couple of crumbs, and in most cases, all they get are bragging rights, not that they have much to brag about. You cannot say that you love a place that you flee from. Hush Puppy is in no moral position to ask why Nigeria is in the shape it's in when he did nothing to change it. Nigeria is dirt poor because the people who should be fixing it have fled, and then they forget all about it first chance they get. When you turn your back on your homeland, you can't act surprised if the situation there never improves. Look at Akon with Akon City. Actually, you can't really see anything. There's nothing going on there, but you can listen to his excuses. He'll break ground any second now, except the groundbreaking date keeps getting pushed back and back and back. This is the problem. Instead of going on Instagram, putting up posts talking about your balling, what you need to be doing is taking some of those ill-gotten gains and start building. What I find to be the most laughable is that this Abbas character ran off to Dubai. Apparently, this genius thought that because Nigeria has a large Muslim population and that because he had an Arabic last name, that the Arabs in Dubai would never turn him over to the U.S. After all, the UAE doesn't have an extradition treaty with the U.S. A shame the boy never learned to put in an honest day's work or how to read because he'd have known that just because a country doesn't have an extradition treaty doesn't mean that they can't turn someone over to another country. It simply means they don't have to. In its most literal terms, it means that the country won't turn over one of their own citizens. 
But as for some resident alien who lives there, you don't get that level of protection. Abbas wasn't a citizen of Dubai. And even if he was, he's black. So as far as those Arabs are concerned, he wouldn't receive their protection anyway. He was just a high-priced squatter in their eyes. They didn't want him there. They were just tolerating him, and that was because he paid big to be there. You think those Arabs didn't know that he was a criminal? You think that every day that he wasn't there, they were not making jokes and going, yeah, this is one of those Nigerian scammers. I guess he must be a little bit smarter than the others. You think the United Arab Emirates, which basically is trying to build itself as a playground for the wealthiest, you think the reputation of Nigerian emigres as many of them being involved in some scam or another hadn't made it to the UAE as if they were just totally unaware of that? This is a place that tries to make itself as a playground for the wealthy. Of course they were already thinking, where's this guy's money come from? When the Dubai authorities had him arrested, they took not just his money, they took his cars, those physical possessions, and they took his freedom as well. He figured because he had a little bit of money that the Arabs would respect that as if his money meant that they respected him. And they showed him that as far as they were concerned, his millions and millions of stolen dollars did not buy their respect. They didn't need to send in their SWAT team loaded for Barry to get this guy. And they definitely didn't need to videotape it either, but they did both to make a point. They treated him like he had committed the biggest crime ever. And then they made sure the video went public. He was busted and humiliated. The point was made. The lack of an extradition treaty only protects Arabs, and black people aren't Arabs. Hush Puppy actually thought his last name would mean something to them. That would be like a black man with the last name Jones thinking that the British are his pals and will respect him because he has a European last name. Though I gotta admit, I did get a kick out of it when I read that he had changed his description of himself from billionaire Gucci master to real estate developer just before he got caught. He clearly doesn't know what it is, not because they don't have money, but because they work all the time. They can't just lounge around showing people how much food they can put on a table. And no, I cannot co-sign what this fool did because he was making money by lying and stealing and also because he didn't do it to help anyone but himself. All the whining that he did about Nigeria and how the system and the government there fails its citizens and he wasn't stacking up that money to help Nigeria. The most he did was to go home and throw around some $100 bills so he could act like a big shot trying to show everybody that he's rich now. But that's nothing but a pointless vanity project. It's making it rain in the club, or in his case, the church, I suppose. He didn't give a rip about Nigeria, because when he was in a position to actually help Nigeria, he fled and didn't look back and didn't do anything. His plan, his entire goal, was to keep scamming and trying to be a big shot on Instagram like a teenager who will never grow up. Well, those same people that he had been trying to impress online are laughing at him now, and he deserves it. Hush Puppy was always going to wind up in prison. It was guaranteed, because he had no exit strategy. He thought he would be online as a scam artist forever. When you make your money illicitly, you have to be realistic and make it a point to walk away before you wind up in prison or dead. You look at all the rappers who this clown tried to imitate, from Dr. Dre to Snoop Dogg to Ice-T, Jay-Z, 50 Cent to T.I., you name it. These men all allegedly dealt drugs, but when they went into the rap game, they left the drugs behind. That's why they're all rich and free, while Ramon Abbas, I mean a hush puppy, is going to be cooling his heels in a cell, 
while Uncle Sam and the Dubai government rape his pockets. And when he gets out, expect him to have more legal troubles. He robbed a law firm and he was going after corporations, so I'll bet they're biding their time. Those companies, if not the governments of the countries they're based in, they're going to want that money or at least a piece of him. Everybody's going to be looking to get their pound of flesh. Another reason why he was destined for prison was that he made a target of himself. And that's the point of this morning's briefing. Black people in general and black men in specific are not supposed to be flashy, even if your money's legit. We are a hunted people all over the world, including the folks in Africa and the Caribbean who apparently want to convince themselves otherwise when it's convenient to them. We live in a world that hates us. You can run to Malaysia, Dubai, or anywhere else you want. It doesn't change that fact. And we have to be realistic about that. In Hush Puppy's case, he was a criminal and needed to be in a cage, though he could have spared himself that if he stopped trying to be such an attention whore. Too many black men suffer from that malady. For example, Frank Lucas, the man who Denzel Washington portrayed in the movie American Gangster. Lucas had become one of, if not the biggest drug dealer in the country, and nobody even knew he existed. Not the feds, not other drug dealers, nobody. He has succeeded flying completely under the radar. Drugs were flooding into the U.S. at that time. The authorities didn't have a clue, though, who was bringing it in. One NYPD flatfoot who was looking for someone else entirely happened to stumble onto Lucas when they both attended a Muhammad Ali fight. And Richie Rich noticed this black man who nobody knew walk in wearing a $100,000 chinchilla coat with matching hat. He stuck out like a sore thumb that was spewing blood. Frank Lucas, up until that point, had done a very good job of flying under the radar. He had done a very good job of remaining hidden. But all it took was one time that he decided that he would let his ego control him. And that was all it took to destroy him. To have done something that unnecessarily eye-catching means that Lucas would have wound up in prison or dead inevitably. The cops didn't even know he existed, and they wouldn't have if he hadn't shown them. You know, you got a number of black folks who are like that. That's why I pointed out the John Morant story from last evening's address. Too many black people suffer from terminal insecurity. They simply can't help themselves. They're immature, like a child who has a secret that they simply can't keep to themselves. But Hush Puppy and those like him simply fail to understand he's not a child. And what you have isn't merely some little secret. You have a chance to change your life and those of generations unborn. You have power in your hands when you've got money, and power must be jealously guarded. Those who fail to guard their power wind up losing everything. You know, it reminds me of the TV show Breaking Bad. Walter White was the mild-mannered but financially failing chemistry teacher who made his own homemade meth that was of almost 100% purity. Gus Fring is the brilliant but utterly ruthless drug kingpin who hides in plain sight by dealing his shipments out of the chicken restaurant that he owned. Walter White is book smart but plumb dumb when it comes to flying under the radar. He was in his 50s but failed to attain real financial success. Clearly, this ate at him. Even when he was making money dealing meth, he still needed to show people that he was successful. He couldn't just have his millions of dollars of dirty money and be satisfied with it. His ego wouldn't let him. Now, there was no reason for him to be showing people what he was holding. 
but he was insecure. He just had to show all the people who looked down on him that he had made it. When the truth of the matter was he had more money than they ever would. In terms of economics, Walter White was a different species entirely now, but he didn't believe it. And as a result, he put himself on law enforcement's radar, which eventually brought him to his end. Gus Frank had been a mentor to White, helping him to understand how to set up a proper drug distribution network and how to do things without getting caught. In one particular episode, Frank and Walter White are having dinner at Frank's home, and Gus tries to educate his would-be pupil on the right way to handle things when he said, you are a rich man now, and one must learn to be rich. To be poor, anyone can manage. And you can tell this is true in spades for Hush Puppy. He stands there in designer shirts looking so awkward and so out of place. His poor posture is not the only culprit for this. He has a distant expression on his face. It's clear as day that wearing expensive clothing is an alien experience to him, no matter how many times he's done it. This is not normal for him, and it shows. Perhaps if he had earned his money honestly over the course of years and adapted to it as opposed to stealing it and getting these things in a matter of days. He looks like he's play acting and being successful largely because he is. There was no chance that this guy wasn't going to get caught because it never occurred to him to take his money that he was stealing and try to go legit with it, invest in legal things. But to do so, that would have required a level of work and attention and focus that he simply wasn't willing to give. Scamming is easy. Investing is hard. But to get back to the Breaking Bad comparison, Gus Fring had a number of constructive traits, like his total obsession with order and structure. But by far what made Gus Fring the most dangerous man alive was that he operated in the shadows, and he loved it that way. He hid in plain sight. If he wanted to touch you, you couldn't stop him, because you couldn't see him, unless he wanted to be seen. And when it came to living his life, he came and went as he pleased, because nobody knew who he was. He owned some chicken shacks. Nobody knew how much he had. Compare Frank to, say, Pablo Escobar, the biggest drug dealer in the history of the world. Escobar was worth hundreds of millions, if not a billion dollars, so much he couldn't count it all, and neither could the DEA. Pablo, while he was being reviled as a narco-trafficker, tried to run for the presidency of Colombia. First of all, that was a long shot, even in a country as violent and notoriously corrupt as Colombia, but also, it was unnecessary. Pablo's problem was that he was scared of being extradited to the United States or otherwise put on trial in Colombia. He was scared of the authorities in his home country and in the U.S., but even becoming president would not have insulated him from the possibility of going to prison. Now, what he should have done was focus on building his power as a professional influence peddler. But in order to make that work, he would have had to stop drug dealing. He simply didn't want to accept that nobody was going to want to really be politically in bed with a man who everyone knew was dealing drugs. See, Joseph Kennedy understood that he couldn't make a lifelong career out of being a bootlegger. Even if prohibition hadn't ended, he didn't want to have to run loads across state lines the rest of his life. He wanted his family to go legit. J. Edgar Hoover hated him and hated his sons. And while Joseph himself was politically radioactive, his sons were not. Joseph Kennedy made his pile for being an illegal substance of trafficker, and then he stopped and parlayed that into legitimate pursuits. The rest is history.
compare yeah. that, on the other hand, to, say, Al Capone. So now, here's a little factoid game. for you. According to Forbes, there's 2,755 billionaires in the world, with over a quarter of them being in the United States. I'd like you to think about that. There's 724 billionaires in the U.S. alone. Now, tell me, can you name even 10 of them without having to look them up? I'm not asking you to name 50 or even 20. Just name 10. You probably can't. And that's because while there's some people whose business ventures are so vast and ubiquitous to everyday life that you can't help but know them, the overwhelming majority of billionaires in America are people you've never even heard of. And they keep it that way. 99% of billionaires in the U.S. are people who, for all you know, you've probably met. Or maybe you've seen them at the grocery store, or at the mall, or at the repair shop of your local dealership. Billionaires, hiding in plain sight. Power, hiding in plain sight. You don't know how they make their money. Jeffrey Epstein was no billionaire, but he was certainly wealthy, and to this day, neither law enforcement nor the few investigative journalists from the white media who bother to look are sure how he made his money exactly. They can account for some of it, but a lot of that money he made, they're not really sure where it came from. And 99% of people had no clue who Jeffrey Epstein even was until a scandal broke. He flew presidents and princes and moguls on his jet, hosted the rich and powerful at his pedophile getaway, but nobody knew he existed until a few years ago. There's no advantage in everyone knowing who you are or what you have. There's nothing to be gained by putting your business out in the streets. At some point, a black man is supposed to grow up and stop looking for attention. This is the second video in a row to deal with this because some black folks only want to become successful so that they can flaunt it. Go see a therapist if that's what you're about. If Hush Puppy had gone legit, he would still be free. But he hadn't cultivated any other skill other than scamming. With the amount of money he had amassed, he could have become a successful investor, eventually. But he didn't bother to learn about that. And besides, investors have to pay taxes, and I'm sure he had gotten used to living a tax-free lifestyle. But even if he had stuck to scamming, if he had stopped going on Instagram, showing everyone every little thing that he had bought, or been gifted by these white corporations whose brands he was hoping to push, then he most likely would still be a free man. On the run, to be sure. But free. The feds themselves admitted in court that it was his Instagram post that helped them to establish his identity as it related to the criminal case. See, when you're making money illicitly, you're gambling with your freedom and your life. And you can only roll the dice so many times before it inevitably comes up snake eyes. In Pablo Escobar's case, you wind up dead. In Hush Puppy's case, you wind up in a cage. But even if he had been a straight arrow making honest money off of, say, stocks and bonds, would that have made his flashy behavior any better? He would have been the subject of tons of IRS investigations, even though he would have been legit. This video essay is for all black people, but for black men in specific. You can chase money or chase attention. You can't chase both. Those who try to make money off of being famous for nothing, those who try to monetize fame, are rarely successful. And the few who are, never have a moment's peace. Most falls from grace begin with someone who starts doing too much. And when you've been riding high, it's hard to believe that this too shall pass, but it always has and it always will.
The only question is, what will you have to show for it when that day comes? The answer will largely depend on how much time you spent trying to impress other people. Good day and be one. I'd like to take a moment to mention some of our contributors. Codified Trucking, Miss Debbie, Ginger Vine, Imani Metadaji, and Mark Singleton. Salute to them and thank you to everyone for listening, liking, and sharing this message. Black empowerment only exists because of you.